Well, a truck driver by the name of Larry Walters used to dream of being able to fly. He would sit in his backyard and wish that someday he'd be able to do so. Larry didn't have the financial means to take flying lessons, so he devised his own plan. Now, this all culminated on July 2nd, 1982. And some of you may remember it, maybe recall reading about it or hearing about it later on, but uh, you might be also to be able to watch a clip on YouTube about it as well, <laughs> the interviews and all that went on. But on that summer afternoon, Walters went inside and got some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, a CB radio, and a pellet gun. He got 36 weather balloons and filled them up with helium. He also took a six-pack of beer. <laughs> you knew there had to be alcohol involved with this somewhere, I guess. But Larry watched the weather balloons. Uh, uh, to, to, uh, he, he attached them. He attached them to the weather balloons to his aluminum lawn chair. And in, in his mind, he thought, this will be great. <laughs> I'll float up about 100 feet. When I uh, want to come back down, I'll shoot the balloons and I'll float back down to earth. My neighbors will think it's hilarious. Well, he tied the 36 balloons to his lawn chair and headed off and up and up. <laughs> But when he, uh, he set sail, Walters didn't just go up 100 feet in the air. Instead, he steadily climbed up to 11,000 feet in the air. It was then that he realized he was in the middle of the approach corridor for the Los Angeles International Airport. <laughs> and a TWA pilot saw him and radioed at, uh, what he had seen to the control tower. <laughs> and they began diverting aircrafts to keep from hitting Larry. Meanwhile, he began shooting, Larry began shooting the balloons one at a time. Unfortunately, he dropped his gun in the process, but providentially, he had shot enough to begin descending. Of course, the uh, LAPD got involved in this, in the action. The media was involved. Everybody was chasing Larry down as he headed back to earth. He was very quiet, <laughs> a very docile man, and he was extremely frightened as he dodged death and made his slow descent. As soon as he landed, Walters was immediately surrounded by police and by reporters. So before the police questioned him, there was an impromptu press conference with the media. They asked, were you scared? And he said, yes, I was. And he, they asked, would you do it again? And he said, no, I would not. <laughs> and then they, they asked him a final question. It was a great question. They asked, why in the world... Did you do it in the first place? And you know what Larry said? He said, well, you just can't sit there. <laughs> so he just didn't want to sit there. He wanted to do something. You just can't sit there. You obviously realize that, those of you who are here today in person as well as online, that uh, you just can't sit there. you got to do something. That's why you come to church. That's why you come to worship. That's why you engage with us online as well, too. There comes a point when you have to take a risk and do something out of your comfort zone because you just can't sit there. There's some, some uh, who are no longer content to be spectators. They realize it's time to become participants, regardless of the odds. And I think that's true for our church as a whole. We can no longer be content as spectators on the sideline here in this community. It's time, it's way past time to become 
participants. We need to participate in our community, engaging our community. We need to move forward in that. And today, uh, uh, we continue with a series uh, on one, one hope, one truth, one way. And we want to talk about how you can take such God-honoring risks and make a difference by moving from spectating to participant. Now, have you ever been over your head in something? Not just like in a pool of water. But have you ever felt like the, the deck was stacked against you? There was no way to overcome the odds. You didn't stand a chance. I remember a time with my stepfather. And I was about seven or eight at the time. And I had this, this silver dollar that I was given. I thought this was awesome. I, I just, just got it uh, from my parents. And my stepfather said, hey, I got a deal for you. Why don't you flip that coin and then, you know, heads I win, tails you lose. And I said, okay, great, 50-50 chance, wonderful. And I began to flip the coin and my mom was going, no, and it was in the air and it came down. And I said, tails, I, oh, <laughs> I lose. <laughs> Wait a second, there was no chance of me winning. And he said, yep. <laughs> I, he gave it back to me, but <laughs> playing tricks on me like that. But in that situation, no chance to win. Heads I win, tails you lose. Maybe you've been in situations like that before. But in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we see how the odds are stacked against a teenager named David who searches his soul and surrenders to God's will. God doesn't give David superhuman strength. Instead, he, God allows the pride of the opponent to be an opening for the momentum to, to shift and for victory to become a possibility. After all, nothing is impossible with God, right? So a little biblical background here. In this biblical account, God's chosen people are, are being ridiculed by, by the Philistines and specifically by their leader. They wanted to, to, to make a difference for the Lord, but they didn't really know how. There is this huge giant named Goliath. He is a Philistine, a, a group of people who were enemies of, of the Israelites. And the Philistines used to make fun of the fact that the Israelites believed in the one true God whose faith was becoming a life and death matter. And the Israelites had to make a choice, allow the enemy to mock God or stand up for him. An unlikely candidate who chose to uh, take a risk because he just couldn't sit there, like Larry Walters, and allow people to trash the one true God. That young man who chose to make a difference, of course, was David. And David believed three truths, three truths about God, that gave him the courage and willingness to be used. And these same truths can enable us to make a difference as well. So in this biblical account, God fights the battle, and, uh, and from his perspective comes truth number one. <clears throat> truth number one. There is no enemy too strong. There is no enemy too strong. Compared to the power of God, there is no enemy too strong. Look in your Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you haven't gone there already. In verse 4, it says, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span, and that's over, over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head <clears throat> and wore a coat of scale armor or uh, of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. That's about 125 pounds. And on his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. 
His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. So the point of it weighed about 15 pounds. And his shield-bearer shield went ahead of him. <clears throat> now, that's quite an enemy. Goliath is very, very imposing. <clears throat> and it's safe to say the odds were stacked against Israel. The next several verses describe how Goliath taunted the Israelite army, saying, you know what, uh, pick one of your guys out to fight against me, and we'll save some casualties here, okay? Just us two will fight. And if he defeats me, we'll become your subjects, and, but if I defeat him, you all will become our subjects. Now, no one would come out. No one at all. No one dared. The stakes were just too high. To every eye, it looked like the enemy was way, way too strong. No one could beat him. And as a result, the Israelites didn't send anyone out to fight him. And in verse 16 of 1 Samuel chapter 17, it tells us this happened each day for 40 days. Over a month, <laughs> this was going on. Can you imagine that? Being beaten down verbally every day about the God you serve. Goliath would come out, taunt the armies of the living God. He would make fun of the Israelites. They all thought he was too strong for them, and they, they, they trembled when they heard the sound of his voice. But David knew something that everyone else had forgotten. When David came on the scene, David knew that the Philistine army didn't stand a chance against the God of heaven's armies. God was much bigger. God was much stronger. What drove everyone else was fear. What consumed David was faith. Because no enemy is too strong. And the same is true for you and I. Uh, as we go through this, this story, I realize that you have different thoughts maybe going through your mind about what that battle might be. You, might, you probably think you, you're, you're thinking maybe I need to win the battle because I, I sometimes get frustrated with my boss. Or, or maybe, oh, that, that next door neighbor, the, their dog is so annoying with the constant barking all the time. Those battles, right? But those aren't the things I'm talking about. The, the things I'm talking about are, 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 are the giants, the, the enemies that are truly huge in your life. It's, it's the addiction that continues to rear its ugly head. It's, it's a marriage where you feel more like roommates than soulmates. It's depression that seems to control you, even though you... You tell God you want him to take control of it. It's the loneliness due to the place setting that sits empty because there's a family member who's no longer there. It's the ring finger that remains empty. It's the financial debt that feels like it is literally suffocating you. Those are the giants. <laughs> Those are the giants I'm talking about. So as you listen today, those are the enemies that God wants to conquer in your life. The big ones. So remember, no enemy, though. No enemy is too strong. But let's also notice truth number two. No weapon is too weak. No weapon is too weak. God specializes in taking weak instruments to unfold his will. God, David came on the scene here. He decided to go into battle against Goliath, even though he was probably about 14 or 15 years old at the time. And can you imagine? 
you're t- you're talk- taking, uh, taking on a, a more than nine-foot warrior when you were 14 or 15. <laughs> Let, you know, most people look pretty tall. To me, most people look tall when I was 14 and 15. They still look tall. But uh, a nine-foot giant warrior, not only was David young and seemingly weak, but the weapon David chose, <laughs> he chose to use, doesn't seem to, seem to help his chances very much at all. A sling. David had three older brothers who were warriors at the time, and they were there for the fight, although they weren't doing any fighting. <laughs> they were all just cowering. But David had the job of bringing lunch to them because he was the youngest brother. And all of a sudden, Goliath came out, and he began to taunt and ridicule from his side of the, of the, of the plains there. He began to make fun of God, and, and David then became angry. And if you look in your Bible in verse 26... In 1 Samuel 17, it says, David asked the men standing near him, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David didn't feel he could let this this man make fun of his God. He was ready to fight. So King Saul caught wind that there was uh, someone in the camp who wanted to take on Goliath, and he couldn't believe it. He said, send him into my tent. And so David showed up at his tent, and Saul probably was kind of looking around for this great warrior. Where is he? When David told him, you're wondering probably where the, this guy is that's going to fight Goliath? Well, it's me. <laughs> and so King Saul gives him all of his armor. Now remember, the Bible tells us that Saul, King Saul, was a head above everyone else. Really tall guy. Really big guy. And so he was much, he was, he was much taller than all of the other Israelites, and of course, then of course, between him and David, uh, there's big difference. So King Saul took his armor and tried to put it on this teenage boy who was a little guy, and it wasn't working very well. Of course, it didn't fit. And David finally took it off and said, "You know what? This isn't me. This isn't gonna work." Basically, what he communicated to the king of Israel was the the outcome of this encounter will not be based upon equipment. I, I really don't need the armor here. It will come down to faith in someone who is bigger than this giant. And he looked at King Saul and said, I've got a slingshot. I'm pretty good with it. And King Saul said, yeah, but <laughs> you're just a boy. You're a, you're a shepherd. But David replied, but I've killed a bear. I've killed a lion. And the same God who gave me victory on those days will give me victory over this giant. So King Saul, having no other options, no one else is moving forward for this. And since he had no intention of taking such a bold stand for God against Goliath himself, he said, well, okay, good luck, David. (laughs) And the teenager took his slingshot, grabbed the five rocks, and went out to meet Goliath. After 40 days of taunting and making fun of God and his army, Goliath saw the boy. (laughs) His response is hilarious. But the giant was insulted, and he didn't see it as a fight. He saw it as a slaughter. He was put off by the fact that David came walking out toward him. This little 14, 15-year-old, scrawny little kid, didn't look like he was any kind of a warrior at all. And there he stood before Goliath. Look back in your Bible, uh, verses 43 through 47. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. 
And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered, there, gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So a little verbal bantering back and forth, but, you know, David had a little more backing <laughs> than Goliath did. Now, that was a pretty bold statement for a teen to make to a giant. Again, unless he had complete faith in the God of heaven's armies. Here was, his, here was this giant, more than nine feet tall, a massive warrior, totally covered in armor, but the Philistine armor had, had a space in the forehead that wasn't covered. And there was a small area of exposed skin. So Goliath shouted and said, I'm going to feed you to the birds. As he advanced in full armor David, uh, toward David, something amazing happened. When Goliath advanced, David advanced. And that's when I probably start to have maybe second thoughts. <laughs> if I were David, oh, here comes this big giant. You know, may sound pretty good back here in Saul's tent, but now I'm out here on the ground. I'm, I'm, my, my knees are, are knocking a little, <laughs> a little bit here. Not feeling right. Maybe someone else could step up. But David didn't retreat. He stood his ground. He advanced toward the giant then, and he grabbed his sling, put a rock in it, started spinning it around, and he got closer and closer, and that sling started getting a lot of velocity going quicker and quicker. And all of a sudden, he fired one of those small projectiles and lodged it right in Goliath's head and knocked him down. And the teenager rushed out to him, took Goliath's sword, and kept his promise. David's a young man of his word, and he, he kept that vow and chopped off Goliath's head. Now, the Philistines couldn't believe what they'd seen. Here they are from a distance, looking up ahead, going, okay, wonder who they'll send out next after this little scrawny guy. And then they see their giant fall, and they're going, uh-oh. <laughs> and then they see what David does to their giant, and they're going, okay, maybe it's time to leave right now. And they, they uh, turn tail and run. Uh, they couldn't believe what they were watching. They ran for their lives in terror. The Israelites chased after them. They won a huge victory against the Philistines. And as for David, you know what he did? He kept Goliath's head. I don't know about you. <laughs> that's just, that's kind of weird. But he kept Goliath's head. But, you know, the Bible tells us he walked off the field with it. He, you know, he lived in a barbaric world, um, maybe in today's terms. If you, if, you want, if you went to a baseball game and you were in the outfield there, a home run ball got hit, you grab and you were the one who caught the ball, you'd take the ball with you home, wouldn't you? I guess, in fact, that's what David is doing in a way. But, man, it's a severed head. I, I would, <laughs> that's just uh, strange. Anyway, so the Philistines run. David's got Goliath's head as a souvenir. And, uh, but, again, he kept his promise of what he had spoken to Goliath. But there's a bigger reason why David did this. He sent a very clear message. If you mock the God of heaven's armies... There will be consequences. <laughs> if you mock the God, the God of heaven's armies, you will be 
there will be consequences. It's a good lesson for us to learn, good lesson for us to keep in mind. If you mock what God's word says, if you turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to the words in the Bible, if God impresses a task on your heart through his spirit and you disregard it, there will be consequences because we serve a holy God. Each day, each Sunday as we come together and you hear his message, you come and listen and you hear what's there and then you're, you're exposed to God's word and you, you go away and God is impressed on your heart, something that needs to happen and you disregard it. You know, there's not going to be a head-severing moment, but there's going to be consequences. If you don't read God, if you don't, if you read God's word or you're exposed to it, and you don't obey it. We need to obey God's word. We need to obey it. And there are consequences if we disregard. His name is important to him. He is the God of heaven's armies, as we sang today. Uh, whom shall we fear? We shouldn't. Centuries later, when God sent his son, he knew Jesus would need some powerful weapons. Whenever Jesus faced temptation, the, the weapon he wielded was the word. When he was tempted by Satan, he would, he, it would seem uh, small and insignificant to quote some scripture. But that's what he did. Because there's power in God's word. When you're up against temptation, that's probably the thing you need to go to. Those, those verses that were memorized. Even some verses that you, know, you <laughs> might not even relate, but it, it points you back to God's word. It takes you through those situations. But that became his weapon throughout his ministry uh, that Jesus had. And it's our weapon as well. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is exhorting the believers at Ephesus to take up the armor of God. And the only offensive weapon that is mentioned is in verse 17 of, of Ephesians chapter 6. To, you know, take, up, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword is the only offensive weapon that, that the Christian has in that, that armor of God. And even though 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 tells us that the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one, he will do that. We need, though, this sword. We need that, that to combat the enemy's attacks, just like Jesus did when tempted by the devil. The God of heaven's armies is both powerful and he's also personal as well. It would have been easy for David to try to fight that battle in a worldly manner. In some ways, uh, it would have maybe even made sense. You know, I need some armor. Uh, I need some weapons. I need some stuff, anything to help me fight this guy. What do you have, king? <laughs> and, uh, but David knew that God doesn't fight earthly battles in earthly ways. God sees things differently. When we realize this, that's when we can make a difference for him. The battles that are fought aren't usually fought by earthly things earthly ways. It's a spiritual battle going on, folks, and we need to be aware of it. Sir, uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier, the actor, said, to be a good actor, one needs to be humble enough to prepare and confident enough to perform. <laughs> I think we also, too, need to remember that as Christians. We need to be humble enough to prepare, confident enough to perform. David had that unique balance as well. He was humble enough to prepare for giants when he was tending sheep, 
and he was faithful in those little things. And when the time came for him to perform in the public arena, he had confidence in God. We can't always see the wisdom in God's ways, but he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't need big. He doesn't need gigantic. He doesn't need strong, intimidating, impressive, worldly weapons to win battles. God fights his own way, and God wins. God always wins. So no enemy is too strong, no weapon is too weak, and then there's the third truth here found. No battle is too big. No battle is too big. Look at what David said in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47. He said, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So David basically said, he said, you know, this, is, this battle is not mine. It's not the Israelites. This battle belongs to the Lord. We're going we're gonna to give it to God and make certain that he receives the glory. In other words, I'm not the one making a difference here. The Lord will use whoever's willing and available to make a difference. And that's true to today as well. Whoever's willing, whoever's available, he will use to make a difference in our community. And on paper, it doesn't seem like Israel stands a chance, right? Goliath is too strong. David is too weak. The, this battle's too far gone down the road. For 40 days, this guy comes out and verbally abuses the, the God they serve. The odds are bad. The chances are too low. This battle, it's too big, way too big. Had David simply brought lunch to his brothers, given in to the political correctness, and, and maybe left the fighting to the warriors, the history of the nation of Israel would have come out quite differently. He could have said, hey, do you guys hear that, that giant, what that giant is saying? He's making fun of our God. And they'd reply, yeah, yeah, that's all right. He, he does it every day. He's been doing it for a while. Pass me a sandwich, please. <laughs> and David might have blended in with their indifference and said, oh, well, I didn't know he did it every day. Okay, well, save a sandwich for me, okay? I mean, it could have gone that route, but it didn't. David is a difference maker. And something boiled inside of him when a person dared to make fun of his God. <laughs> he said to his older brothers in the military, we can't stand for this. And he sensed and knew that God had, was, was, was counting on him to enter into that battle with boldness in the face of potential ridicule, in the face of opposition and, and death, to take a stand for the Lord. So is God counting on you to get off the bench and make a difference? <laughs> is God counting on you to be a, be a witness to your family at family reunions, <laughs> if you can have any of those these days? Is God counting on you to take a bold stand? I really believe that God is all-powerful, and because of that, we should be motivated to get out of our comfort zone. It's scary. I understand that. It's scary. But God is with us. There are moments when ordinary people are empowered to do something extraordinary because of our, power, because of our powerful God. For example, a relatively quiet Christian stands up to the supervisor and says, I won't skew the numbers or cook the books to make the situation look better than it is. Or when you know you are going to be ridiculed by your neighbors, but you share your faith with them anyway. You stand up for God. When you feel inadequate to the task, remember that God told Paul 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, when Paul was dealing with this thorn that he talked about in his side, and God said, my power is made perfect in weakness. We need to keep that in mind. When we might think, oh, it's just, I, I couldn't do something like that. I'm weak in this area. I'm weak in that. And God's going, yeah, I know. I need you. I need you to step up. No battle is too big for a God like that. We, and we have a tendency to think the battles we face are, are a little bit too big for us. Like my prodigal son or daughter is too lost. Or my diagnosis is too bleak. Or my workplace is too worldly. Or my schedule is too overwhelming. Or my sin is too great. Or how about our church is too small. Our church is too old. Our community around us has changed too much. Too big of a battle. But David showed us what happens when faith enters the equation. David won the battle, but God received the glory. And like David, we need to be ready to move from spectator to participant and make a difference. I remember coaching junior high soccer. I may have shared this story a while ago before, but... The, the soccer team that I was coaching, they were getting beaten down by this opponent. This is junior high. So, I mean, you can't really do much with coaching with them. They kind of run around and do their thing. But this one defender was getting so tired because the other team was just... The ball hardly got over to the other, other end of the field. And so the defense was getting tired. And this one defender was wearing, wearing out. And so I looked on the sideline here. We had four, four guys on the sideline. <laughs> they looked so discouraged. And I looked at one guy who normally plays up front, uh, forward, and all that. I said, hey, uh, could you come over here and sub in for the guy? He's, he's, he's dead. He's tired. He, he needs a rest. And that guy, that player, looked over at me, and he said, nah, I don't want to. <laughs> I looked at him. I said, what? You don't want to go into the game? He goes, no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I thought, okay, what's the coach to do now? That's weird. Um, he didn't want to go into, he didn't want to do anything for that guy. He didn't want to go in and go help that guy out to relieve that guy from all that, that was going on. He didn't want anything to do with it. That athlete didn't want to do battle with that giant of a team. He would rather put it off and let someone else pay. And you know, we tend to procrastinate when it comes to battling giants. <laughs> we might say, I'm happy to take a stand for Jesus. But does it have to be today? Maybe we'll do it tomorrow. Or how about the beginning of the week? You know, Mondays are a good time to start things. There just comes a time, though, when you must leave the bench on the sideline and enter the battle. Moving from spectator to participant. Our church is preparing to enter the battle by engaging our community. The missions committee is putting together a, a great plan for our church to distribute some welcome packets just across the street over here to the neighborhood that has been recently built and people are starting to move in the homes. They've been there for a bit. We're also, too, looking at uh, com communicating with the North Clackamas School District and uh, finding ways how we can make a difference in the lives of our community through the schools and the students. There's plenty of opportunities there for uh, individually for us to be involved in changing, making a difference in a person's life. And they're trying to provide opportunities, the missions committee is trying to provide opportunities for each one of us to make a difference by serving our community, to get us off the bench and enter into the battle. 
to move from spectator to participant. You know, it doesn't matter how big of a church we are. We just have to have opportunities and availability for the people. Because it's time that we do something. <laughs> After all, in the words of Larry Walters, you just can't sit there, right? you got to do something. But my prayer is that the God of heaven, the one who specializes in doing the impossible, would help us not to just complacently spectate, that he would help us to become actively involved in making a difference for his glory and that our lives would reflect our faith in a powerful God. We need to let the community know. And remember that there is no enemy too strong for him to overcome, no weapon too weak for God to use, no battle too big for him to win. That's who he is. That's what he does. That's the God we serve. There's no earthly power that can stand against God's power and presence. But, you know, after hearing about David and Goliath, you might say, well, but Pastor Jim, that was back in biblical times. That was David, who had become the greatest king of Israel. I'm more of a nobody than royalty. I couldn't do anything. And I would say to that, I'd say, you have something that David didn't have. If you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, there is a power available to you that David never could have tapped into. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 speak about that. It speaks of the great power available to those who believe in Christ. It says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. We have that power inside of us. We have access to that. So if you think you're too weak, think again. Yeah, in your own power you are. But through God's strength, oh my goodness, what we could do. The power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead lives in each one of us. We can make a difference. We can. I'm going to invite Annie and Don to come on up, and they're going to lead us in a song that is, speaks about this. We've sung it before in church. It's, it's called Same Power. And I trust it will be a reminder to us that we serve a God that has given us this power that allows us to do the things that we probably didn't think we could ever do because it's the power of God in us. So as we sing this song, be motivated, be inspired, that yes, you can make a difference no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing.